Live. It is your boy, Jamie Kane, the host and founder of Liberty Uninterrupted. I am joined by day, today, by day, I am joined by day and by night. Uh, no, I'm joined today by the boys from That's Against the Mob. That's our new nickname, by day and by night. By night, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, from Against the Mob, Logan Carpenter, Matt Billingsley. What's up, fellas? How are what is going on, guys? I just wanted to make sure that we took a moment to wish everybody on this glorious day one of the very happiest gun totinest, tobacco smokinest, binge drinkinest, <laughs> overeatinest, red, white, and blue waving, liberty loving Fourth of July you've ever had. Ooh, ooh, ooh coming in strong. Love that it. Was uh, I felt the spirit, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's feeling patriotic today. Got me all. Got me all riled up, man. Matt's like, <laughs> I I have to go to the bathroom real fast. <laughs> I'll do it right here. I think the only thing I was missing was the Ric Flair, uh, woo, at the end of it. Yeah, woo. <laughs> Seriously, dude. That was good, man. Matt, do you have uh, anything to say or add to that? I don't know. I think that, I, I think we just stopped the recording right here. I feel like we did a pretty good job today. I, yeah, uh, that's, um, I just classic me living in the shadow of Logan. So um, I, I, I got nothing. <laughs> Well, uh, surprised we never did that Halloween costume with just you as my shadow. Is that just a little too on the nose racist? I don't think we, I don't remember us ever talking about that because I think that would be yeah, a really never, good one. He's way too skinny to, to be your shadow, that. Logan. That's definitely true. Maybe if there were two light sources, why is your me, shadow so fit? pushing the shadow more narrow? <laughs> <laughs> it's two the separate 45 it's degree spots. <laughs> Matt, Matt is like having to like stand next to his shadow, so it kind of looks bigger, you know. You could just put a couple pillows on each side, get a, a small child's inner tube around your waist to put the black silhouette over. I like it. Well, if we're together for Halloween, I'm in. I don't hate it. We'll I was uh, book note that I didn't dress up last Halloween, but I was going to be. I still haven't done it. I still want to do. I still want to be Fat Thor for Halloween. <laughs> Mm. Get like a fat suit. I have you know, already get a blonde like, uh, wig. You know, <laughs> all of the like celebrity comparisons you get. That was uh, especially when Thor started coming out. That was when I'm like, man, I wish somebody would say I looked like Thor. And it did happen. Yeah, don't we all? But not did. until Thor. Not until Thor had the fat scene in the MCU universe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then people are like, Thor, right? I get it all the time now. What's up, Thor? But in the back of my head, I know that never happened when Thor had a six pack. You know. What's up? What's up, obese Thor? Like it's Fat yeah, Thor. Yeah, a lot of that. You know? <laughs> the BMI index at twenty four and a half <laughs> is only extremely overweight. All right. How dare you call me obese Thor? It's Fat Thor. No, I. Uh, that's pretty good. I know. How funny would that be? It's like somebody that you're like you're trying to convince people like throughout your. I, you know, the Marvel universe, I, I look like, I look like Thor, right? I totally look like Thor, the beard, the hair, right? I'm like, no, I don't really see it. And then as soon as that movie comes out, the same people you've been Thor. trying to convince for years are like, oh, and now I see it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure what it says about me, but I've, I've had several different of those comparisons. I think being of like English, Irish, and German predominantly heritage means I have a lot of guys in America who look like me. Everybody has a buddy that looks like me. Yeah, very Anglo-Saxon. Right. So I'm not sure if it's my own internal narcissism or if it says something about the comparisons that are being made. But every time I'm shown one of those people, they're always fatter and grosser than me. But do look 95% just like me. Matt, do you get any celebrity lookalikes? Like, or like, or has anybody said you look like anybody? Mm, let me think about that like, one for a second. I've never been told. I mean, maybe once or twice in my life I've been told I look like a celebrity. Mind you, I don't give a shit if I look like a celebrity or not. So, like, you know, because I can just hear the people now. Who cares if you look, you know, 
I, it's just a question. We're just having fun here, guys. Yeah. Chill out. You got, you got but, three uh, different wristbands and shiny glasses on tonight. What are you talking about? Yeah, dude. <laughs> Doing your best job. First of all, I always I always have these on, like literally every day of my life. These are blue light glasses because I work I, – I uh, stare at screens all day for like Zoom meetings and stuff like that, you know, and, and uh, I've realized my eyes are starting to get like super dry and just kind of like – just kind of they just like hurt dude at the end of the day like just they just started hurting so i got blue light glasses and it definitely makes a difference that is for sure i'm a believer in the blue light glasses my girlfriend i forced to go to an optometrist because one day we turned down her home street and she pointed and said oh there's my sister riding a bike and this is my girlfriend who is 100 percent hispanic from Mexico. She's white, she's white Hispanic, you mean. And there's no, she's yeah, not no even, white Hispanic. No white. This woman is, is significantly darker than Matthew Billingsley is. <laughs> and as we're turning much. down the street, she points, says, This is my sister. And a woman as white as me rides by on a bike. And the next day, I had her at the eye doctor. <laughs> yeah. But she has 20 20 vision. They got her the blue light glasses. So there is definitely really? some it was because interesting of that. things that eye strain can do. Yeah. Well, I've really sucked vision. my away. vision's pretty bad. I wear contacts. So uh, it, that might the much. That must that must make it that much worse, you know? Because like you, when you wear contacts, your eyes get naturally dried out. So I like I have to use mm-hmm. eye drops anyways. On top of like staring at screens all day for my job, you know. And uh, I definitely noticed that my vision was a lot blurrier. My eyes hurt, like they're dry, you know. So I was like, gotta stop, man. Gotta get the blue blockers. Or what? these aren't actually. I think there's a company called Blue Blockers or something like that. Those aren't those. These are the Amazon special. So unfortunately, nothing wrong with that. Hey, you were going to tell us about a conspiracy theory, um, and and you hey, were and enjoying we this conversation. Off. No, well, this I'm, takes, I, I, derailed, uh, I derailed it. Sorry, Matt. Uh, you sound kind of. You does does Matt sound kind of weird to you, Logan? He's a little wonky on my end. Yeah. What do you mean? You sound you sounded like a robot for a minute. Oh really? Is it still doing that? No, it's better now. Okay. I'm not going to edit this out. I'm too lazy. No, that's fine. I've edited way too many podcasts the last couple of weeks. So, yeah. So, Logan, you were going <laughs> to. Yeah, on a tear. I have been on a tear. I've, I, you guys are my. lately. You're one of three podcasts I'm recording this week. So, and yeah, last week sure. I recorded three. So, it's just Somebody's a lot. trying dude. to sandbag for his vacation time over there. Yeah, seriously, dude. I just want, no, I want to freaking take, I got, la- I didn't get lazy. I took a month off, right? I, a while ago. And uh, I realized anytime you take you got anytime you take any time off, people are just done with you. You're like you're mm-hmm. basically dead to them in the podcasting world. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I can never take time off from this. So if I can record <laughs> enough episodes up front, and I publish them every two weeks, and then everybody's gonna be happy, right? So there you go. And I enjoy it. But anyways, uh, Logan, you were gonna tell us we were talking about population control before we started recording, and you have this uh, this uh, conspiracy theory that you would like to share. Right. So I, I came across this conspiracy the other day with uh, kind of the overarching, arching uh, reactionary statist way of uh, controlling the world. We had all of these things go on since the pandemic. And now that we've had this vaccine rollout, there's been several concerns about miscarriages and, and complications with childbirth. And I, to be fair, have done zero research and don't know what any of the numbers on that are. But this particular person I was reading on last night was saying, going on and on about how uh, there's all these complications with birth and this and that. Uh, What if this reversal of Roe v. Wade in order to stifle off the number of abortions in this country is because they're worried about the effects of said vaccine injuring the children and the the growth of the population moving forward? Oh, interesting. I like that. That's a really good, that's a good one, man. I like that a lot. That is, uh, 
That is inter- that is interesting. That's I tasty. That I got to check well, everybody on that one. Say, say, be... say it again one more time for everybody. And so for essentially, me. the uh, the concern <laughs> by the centralized government of the effects of said vaccine after panicking us all into taking this vaccine and locking down for a year a year for something that turned out to be overall pretty mild. They now yeah. are having complications with this vaccine with birth rates. And, oh, yeah, we're seeing that for sure. And that kind of thing. Yeah. So what if they're worried about what's going to continue to come down the line from as this, uh, you know, it's an mRNA vaccine. Right. Something yep. that actually does affect our genetics long term, uh-huh. potentially, is the idea behind this. So what if it affects our genetics to a point where we have trouble? So they overturn that Roe v. Wade to. Right. They see the writing on the wall. There's going to be an issue with new birth. So we need to start making sure any viable children right now are in the world to replace the elderly population. That's mm. a really interesting. That is, interesting. I like that. Yeah, I that like explanation that explanation was good. That's uh, I mean, dude, I'm not scared to say it, dude. I, there is some shit with that vaccine. There's no doubt about it, dude. There's two, like we're having, what is it called? Uh, what are they literally labeling it? SADS? Sudden adult death syndrome. Oh, come on. Give me a break, <laughs> dude. What is the only, we've never heard of SADS. Ever. It's been I, a I'm, thing, but it Okay, but it's not it's been also, a huge thing. And, well, no here's the thing. It's it's it, also dude. like the same, like most most Let people me put have on never my heard hat, please. No, I'm 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 just confirming what you're saying. It's like most people have never heard of the term myocarditis, right? Like that's just simple information. It's very, yeah, exactly. It exists, like, right? Most people before the vaccine had never even heard of this term. It's, yeah, if right, you yeah. didn't if you don't live in the medical world, why would you the, uh, kind of a Mandela effect type of thing? That's yeah no okay and that's what I mean like it could have existed I but the thing is I had never heard of the term I had heard of the term myocarditis before right like I had like but I had never heard of the term SADS I I had heard of SIDS never mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I'm not saying they made it up obviously it existed before but when you know CNN and and Fox News and MSNBC and all these like you know and all these big you know new you know corporate press outlets start talking about it what is the common I'm a big believer in the common denominator man. I'm a big believer in looking. It's like, okay, so what has changed the last couple of years? Climate change. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Where I'm blaming children. What was it? What, what was it? There was an article that blamed children's myocarditis on climate, climate change, change, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is warm out there. It's hard you... on my fat heart some days. <laughs> very sweaty over here in Texas. Is you, dude, does it feel like your heart's swelling? It's really hot outside, dude. <laughs> <laughs> must My, uh, be that change no i'm kind of that's another one i, I don't understand but you know cor- correlation does not equal I, does not equal causation but, i understand that but i'm just saying we got to look at it what it is We're, we also saw a you guys are soccer fans right mm-hmm. to yeah, an extent that, that's what's wrong with you guys so uh we okay. so so <laughs> okay you so Great. alpha we just, male. Lost, we just lost our entire <laughs> european listening base way to go <laughs> I didn't say I hate y'all. I just I, hate your I, sport. I will. I will say though that if that's the the if I that's what props. you're gonna if that's what you're gonna pin on me that that's what's wrong with me is that I like soccer, then you haven't been paying attention. That is exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah, I like yeah, I've heard gotta... every other like red flag about Matt Billingsley <laughs> and just stick to the soccer. I'm like that has got to be what's wrong with this guy. <laughs> but I, uh, but uh, I, it's funny actually. I have a lot of friends that are very big into soccer. So, um, anyways. I just like to make fun of them. I give I give the soccer guys props because their cardio is insane. They got to be in really good shape. With that being said, but that leads to my next point of like, we saw a lot of athletes collapse, man. You know what I'm saying? Like a ton, and every, and people were covering it, but they were like, "What is this strange occurrence? Why is this happening? We don't know. Right. It's just very scary." And I'm just, 
And I, I'm just like, but nobody was even outside of like some conservative and obviously our group, uh, you know, non-corporate press outlets were questioning like, well, can we maybe just say vaccines? Could we just at least bring the hypothesis to the table that it could be vaccines? Of course, no, because that Jamie, you know, makes you're you gonna a crazy. Show that there. kind of dissent into the society. Do you know what misinformation that structure? I'm we have to have a, a unionized <laughs> yeah. base. We have to understand our patriotism and our nationality and come together as people so that we can murder people in other countries in the interest of American oil dollars. Hillary yeah. 2024. <laughs> I cannot believe that, dude. I Let's saw that go. In story. Hillary Clinton. I don't know if I brought there that. There were rumblings of a Hillary Clinton run in 2024. I'm like, I'm are sure there, there really? are, dude. That's yeah, that, 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 that would make sense, for honestly. That, that Happy Fourth of July. <laughs> that surprised me a bit, just a like, knee-jerk reaction, because like, who would want that? But as steeped as she is in that party and how strong of a hold she has and how many people... People that don't want to get suicided are okay with it. Right. Is what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, people people accidentally... DNC is like, yeah, it's all yours. Right, yeah. She's... She's got a, enough uh, cachet within that circle that it's hard for any of them to say no, I'm sure. So, I, Who do you think that. would be outside of – I want to talk about this stuff and then we'll get into today's episode because it is – we are releasing this episode as a 4th of July, No Kings uh, Network, I'm going to say coalition, same thing. Um, it could still be a coalition, right, uh, episode. But I, I want to kind of get this stuff out of the way before we get in the meat of the episode because I find it interesting. Who do you think is – like the if Biden doesn't re doesn't run for re-election, right, as the incumbent, How which do you they're not saying run the most popular presidential candidate of all time, James. <laughs> yeah, he got eighty-one million votes, dude. How do you not do that? And, and Kamala and Kamala's basically, you know, the next Obama, from what I've heard. So I uh, you know, she's the next Michelle, you know. <laughs> Big old dick. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Uh, there's a there's an uh, uncle somewhere at, at family events. I see that that's his favorite conspiracy. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> I don't think she's a man. She just has the bearings of one. <laughs> she's got a she's got a cackle of a psychopath. That's for she, sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I was talking about Michelle, but yeah, Kamala oh, for sure. Michelle. But um, who is so if it's not Biden, because dude, they're gonna have to drag him to the to the election, right? So. Well, they will be you well think? practiced at that point at dragging that carcass around. That yeah, we can have pros to make it pros at that point. I had seen that some people <laughs> were championing championing um, Buttigieg and Kamala ticket. Gross. Which I'm I'm just like, what if uh, that's what if Joe Biden have? What if Joe Biden just came out like a muppet on strings onto the debate <laughs> stage? Just, <laughs> I would actually vote for him at that point. <laughs> his, his legs aren't holding any weight. They're just like bouncing in front of him as he goes to the podium. If, if he came out actually attached to strings, I would vote for Joe Biden. Why does uh, Biden Why does Biden sound like Obama all of a sudden, dude? <laughs> uh, uh, come because on, guys. What you're seeing now with the Biden administration is what is everything that Obama wanted to accomplish, right? So, with that, I think my my 2024 prediction: if Biden doesn't go for it, is I think they're going to run Michelle. Okay, um, I don't. Think- I think that would be an extremely good strategical, like as far as people who. Might if they're smart, they'll run Michelle for sure. That would be smart. She's for sure. insanely popular for some mm-hmm. insane reason. I don't think I don't think they're going to run her because I don't think the Obamas. Why would you? Why would you ever want to step back 
into the spotlight. You over, you've already made your millions of dollars. You already have your mansion. Yeah. It's not about money, vineyard. Yeah, but it's like, but you're, that's the whole you're point. You're, right? risking, even... you're risking the scandal-free Obama legacy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. My presidency. I, um, I mean, I, I could. I'm trying to think. I really think that it's going to be. Uh, that was Michelle that fucked that up. It's going to be DeSantis <laughs> versus. Sorry, sorry, Matt. That got me. I was, no, drinking, okay. I was drinking my ginger ale, and that freaking got me, dude. Uh, that was better than my first attempt. My first Obama shot there. I'm not even sure anybody caught with so, the Obama voice. You think you think the Republican nominee is going to be DeSantis? I think which I, if it's not Trump, I think it's DeSantis for sure. I wish it was Massey, you know, but uh, no, he doesn't have nearly enough popularity. It's which is really bums me out, dude. You know, like yeah. as, as people as volunteers for Libertarian, right? Like I would be really, I would be that would be one of the biggest white pills for me. If somebody like Massey or even Rand, where like I don't, Rand is not nearly as strong as his father was, right? But I mean, he's still considered too radical for the Republican Party. That would be such a white pill if somebody like Massey could get in there, you know? But yeah, I think that's part of the problem too, though. I think Massey gets the the Rand family treatment if he really goes for it, you know? The Paul family treatment, you mean? Yeah, yeah, excuse me. Yeah. Okay. Correct. I just want to make sure. Yeah, I think, no, no, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with Matt. I think DeSantis, I think Trump's still got it if he wants it. I think DeSantis I think so is too. the, I think DeSantis is pretty much who Trump wants to be the crowner for. I think Ted Cruz is probably in the mix. Oh, he had a no little way. momentum there for a minute. Ted, I think he's, I, I think you'd be surprised. I think Teddy. he's going to get his name in the hat. No, he'll be in the yeah, primary. Well, yeah, he'll be I in could, the primary, but the dude, no, that guy's a putz. I could see, <laughs> I, I could see Rand running again. I could see um, him putting his name. I mean, because, I because he has... Because he stood up against Fauci and stuff like that, you know. I could see him. That's true. He's probably gained more momentum than he's had in the past. Yeah, over and he was roast, a big proponent of Fauci. He he was really strong against Fauci, <clears throat> the strongest out of everybody against Fauci. Obviously, I mean, he called him out on his all his BS. How I don't could know, you dude. be against the doctor so, Fauci? Matt, you didn't say you're the Democrat. Well, that's though. what I, that's what I'm trying to figure out because I don't think that Biden's going to be of cognitive dude, I, sound in mind. And the Democrats are already like flocking around him officially saying like, of course, of course. But there's so much back movement that they're trying to find who's. But so I'm just trying to think this out loud. It's like Kamala's very unpopular in the democratic party she was before she still is so she she's, not like, be, she's not going to she's not going to be uh, yeah she's not going to be abysmal. able to be a front runner um <clears throat> as a presidential ticket so i think you can remove biden you can remove harris out of the conversation it makes me wonder it's like now is holy shit is like is the door open for hillary um mark halpern has this um <laughs> oh mark, what if we get another hillary trump candidacy <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> History repeats imagine. itself again. Oh, oh my god, I would that would be it. honestly golden because of the way that you want to talk about the national divorce. Dude. The... <laughs> oh yeah, if anything goodness. would bring it on. Surely, I mean that you can't look at that and not think. Well, this is obviously democracy. just doesn't work. We got Trump. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, democracy is a broken system. Libertarian, all the libertarians <laughs> and anarchists are like, "Do you see it now? Do you see Please. what we're talking Please. about?" And the sad thing is we're rejoicing about it. We'll be just as sad in four years when it happens. And we're like, nobody's, nobody's upset. Ah, we're still voting Democrat and Republican. Fuck. Yeah. That's a good point though by Matt though. I mean, I'm like, I don't think it's Biden. I don't think Biden, they can get in there. It's not Harris. It's not Bernie Sanders doesn't have the balls. He's just too so much of a fucking pussy. Here's a question for you. Um, On the lines of the Michelle Obama, because Michelle Obama is not an entrenched politician type that 
would kind of fit the mold of that. But the issue that they're having in the Democratic Party is that the two front runners who have that kind of cachet in Biden and Harris are hated. And they and Biden's too old, really. He's too to old. For it again. Bernie's lost the I don't fire. Think he'll, I honestly do not think he's going to physically last. I really don't. Like he's yeah, on such so a either. decline. It doesn't look great. It is. Yeah. It, I would feel bad for him if I didn't hate him. You know. So like he, he's. Yeah. I mean, he's getting exactly what he deserves. Spending forty five years in government and being one of the most <laughs> corrupt politicians, right? But it's. <laughs> you know, that's it, that's called karma, bitch. So I. Uh, but with that being it does said, almost sound like a, a, a short story of like the the terrible fall is like to be a career politician fucking everybody over and then the moment you reach the pinnacle of it you don't even remember what you had for breakfast that morning anymore <laughs> it's a good point that's karma well just to, to go back to matt's point like there's nobody that like you see the guy you see desantis gaining momentum right mm-hmm. you see obviously trump has the momentum like on the republican side you can see it from like a mile away but there's nobody on the and, and and like we pay attention to this stuff, obviously, and that's right. why there the Democrats are in, That's why they're scrambling is because so Biden is not going to question. be able. Sorry, go ahead. And here was my question, right on that is because all those kind of politician types they have, those established people, are just seem to have no chance. Is it time for them to do? And a Michelle Obama, I think, would be one of these types, or an Oprah. That's why I think. Do they need because their Trump? Do they need to go grab some populist Elon Musk type of character? Not that Elon Musk is going to be a Democrat. I think Bloomberg. I think Bloomberg could go again. I think I think yeah, Bloomberg, Bloomberg could have been a. He was so unimpressive. I hate Bloomberg, but Bloomberg, but I think he could have. I think he would have been Biden's stiffest competition if he got in earlier. I think he's too unimpressive. He talks like he talks like he's bothered to have to address the poor people. I mean, that's yeah, like, he's, he's he really a does. Too obvious. <laughs> like they're they're all really does. aristocratic millionaires that have way more money and connections than any of us ever dream of. But he. That's his character. It's almost yeah. like so. That's like, no, true. Well, he, he called, he called farming easy. He was like, George W. So Bush put a, a hick accent on his face from Texas, and he can get away with it. But do you I remember that Bloomberg, Bloomberg was that. like, "If you were, it's easy to be a farmer. You just freaking poke a hole in the ground, put a seed in there, put water, in, and then you're done. It's hard to be a Silicon Valley entrepreneur." And I'm like, "You're a dumbass, dude." You know what I'm saying? Like, you have no. I, the only reason I say that is that Bloomberg is the he is a Democratic version of Trump. Like if, if if Trump was to have an evil twin, it's Bloomberg, right? So uh, no, he's not bombastic enough. He does, he's not polarizing. Yeah, most people, most because like twin. when you say when you say Trump, you people have a visceral All reaction. Opposites. One of the two ways. All right? the opposites is what I'm thinking. You know, it's like it's like spy versus spy. One's black, one's white. You know, <laughs> not literally. I'm not sure who that would be. I was trying to Trump think would definitely be the Trump. black one for sure, dude. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, at this point, I I, I hate white. that that's what CNN talked about today because Mark Halpern, um, he runs the Wide World of News, and he always always does this kind of update where it's like as the landscape lays today who is the most likely to be the presidential nomination and for both the democratic and so the republican the republican one is it's like trump right if he's solvent yep. that's essentially how they caveat it right if he is not convicted or of some sort of crime if he is solvent and actually wants to run he will get the nomination and then it's um desantis yep. then it's none of the above which is who could it, like it's open for anybody but the democratic one has been hillary top none of the above 
And then someone, and I can't remember. And then like Joe Biden coming in at three, but it's been interesting because he's been, he talks about this quite frequently and Hillary has been at the top of his 2024 list for over a year now. And and now that CNN talks about it, it's like, no, like I don't want to, it's like clearly the man's smart, right? Mark Halpern's a, he's a very educated human being. And it's like, I just want him to be wrong. Like, please be <laughs> wrong. <laughs> like, don't do if, uh, if it is. I, I hope he's right. Dude. I hope he's it's, right, dude. If it's Clinton Trump again in 2024 and nothing happens about any of the election stuff and we have a, another election that makes people feel uneasy and Clinton pulls out a little squeak, there ain't one Trump voter that's going to believe a word of that. No, it's going to be you talking national. about national divorce, national National, come on, give me some tunes, Matt. Sorry, I was I was looking at something. Matt heard music come up, and he looked at our two white faces, and he was like, "I'm just not going to put my name on this at all." Uh, we've already oh, had an episode on this project. Uh, who do you think the Libertarian candidate is? Dave Smith. Dave Smith. I think yeah. it's Dave Smith. I think it'll I think, be Dave uh, Smith. I think it'll be Dave Smith too. I think Amash will run. I think he'll put his hat in the ring, but I think Dave. He's going to get crushed. He's going to get. He's going to get absolutely crushed right. by Dave Smith. Yeah. I love it. Right. I love me some Get Dave Smith, dude. Or yeah, Spike. I'd be happy with Dave or Spike, honestly. I've so been really I, impressed I could get with down Spike. Spike. I thought I'm going to vote for either one of them, but, you know. Ever, since that, <laughs> ever since that terrible uh, vice presidential run with, with Joe, Spike's been pretty impressive. I've really liked what he's been spitting I think out. He had to, I think he had, he had to overcompensate for being associated with that. <laughs> just to, just to like, like, watch the bad yeah, taste that all. He's come out freaking – I mean, dude, I don't think anybody – I don't think anybody looks and I, I volunteer. This is when I was very much in the we talked about this when we had flirt on. I, I was very much in the, you know, the political mindset. I volunteer, even though I didn't love Joe Jorgensen, I volunteered for her campaign because I thought we had a golden opportunity. I'm like, dude, come on. We can get four percent. We can get five. Sounds like we might again in 2024. Right. But we now but the Libertarian <laughs> Party has way better messaging. Right. So but I, I remember oh, yeah. looking at that and thinking I remember thinking how how much better Spike was than her like on the campaign trail. Mm-hmm. I didn't get yeah. to meet Spike. I met Joe and she was, I, I get, don't get me, Joe was a very nice lady. I just think she surrounded herself with Beltway Libertarians that really sucked in messaging. Um, yeah. And she doesn't, and she's kind of like that same bonnet. Like she just doesn't have that fire where Spike does. And Spike's a very smart dude. I think, I think he's really cleansed himself. You I know, think there's something too to being 60 years old and not having any touch with the yeah. vast we need to get some beautiful of energy, for sure. Right, so she falls for that easily. And I think a lot of 60-year-old politicians, 70-year-old politicians do because some young guy who's really impressive talker gets in there with them in their campaign and they tell them that this is the way we need to do things. we got to be X, Y, or Z and, or woke or whatever it is. And meantime, that kid didn't actually know what he was talking about. It was just that 70-year-old so had no idea. He didn't know what he was talking about. Who does Dave pick for his VP? Ooh. No idea. Maybe maybe a mosh. Yeah, Amash would be, be a good pick. I like Amash. I think that would be actually a pretty reasonable pick. I just I'm don't know like who Dave else Smith is more, but I like Amash. I think he's a good dude. You know, I think I think I, I wouldn't hate a. a he's Smith like one of the best Mosh congressmen ticket. we've ever had. You know, Smith Amash would be good as long as Michael Malice gets in there. At a, what's the position? The press, press secretary. Press secretary. Dude, oh, that oh, would just God. warm my heart. I would four years, oh, four years of day. having to deal with Michael Malice every as morning. Somebody that never oh. watches that shit ever. As somebody that hates everything about what DC is, I would watch Michael Malice every. Oh, I would. I would definitely be applying day, to try to be a staffer. Oh. 
for Michael Malice at that point. <laughs> that would be sick. I'm not going to lie. I would work for Michael Malice. There's, no, there's not a single person else I would. But Matthew, could you imagine? He's like, oh, you guys are shit posters and podcasters? Let's go, dude. Welcome aboard, Matthew, does boys. it make you a little bit jealous of Jamie that he's the only one amongst us who can look Michael Malice directly in the eyes? <laughs> Is he pretty short? He's not yeah, tall. He, look, he, he looks like he's short. He's he's, he's Jewish big. Ukrainian. I I would imagine he's short. That's you know, fair. Let's find out how tall. That just means we can fit into small spaces. <laughs> like That's my mom used assholes. to tell me when I was a kid. She she would say they're just jealous of you because they can't. You can go into smaller spaces that they can't fit into. I'm like you're just snack sized. I don't want to freaking go into a cave that nobody else can fit in. That sounds terrifying, dude. <laughs> now, that dog, I'm not saving that dog. That ain't happening, dude. Or that, you right? Know, yeah, no, I got uh, in there. Dude, as a, I was the oldest son, and I've all I was this big when I was 15. But because I was the oldest son, did I would you get just gender like yourself? Like, go go under. I did gender myself, but it's my gender. I'm allowed to gender myself. <laughs> that's that's, that's where it's gonna go. You did fucking you gender yourself. Did you, gender did you yourself? just gender yourself? Okay. Sorry, go ahead, your but, brother. But yeah, I, I was the one who had to crawl under the crawl space when we were redoing oh, the bathroom, and as a bad. big guy, and I got stuck in there, and I had a panic yeah, attack, and I do not like tight spaces no more. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, Don't do yep. good with them. That's fair. Well, should we talk about rebellion? Yeah, oh yeah, that was a fun conversation. I uh, no, but today obviously this is being published on July fourth. Happy July fourth, everybody! Happy Domestic Terrorist Day. Yep, and, Happy you know, Insurrection <laughs> Day, whatever you'd like to call it. Happy, yeah, seriously, whatever you want to call. It. But today, um, going talking about presidential elections. Now we're going to talk about the things that we really care about, which is rebellion, right? So um, we really want to discuss this because I feel the best for part me, of politics when you finally murder all of those politicians. Okay, in Minecraft, for goodness <laughs> sakes, dude. Excuse me. <laughs> that is low from a philosophical <laughs> standpoint. This is all theoretical stuff. Yeah, I heard somebody say this is yeah. all historically speaking. It's just better movies, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna have to cut that. <laughs> uh, I, look, the red flag laws just got passed. Can we not These be a week jokes, into it? You know. Jokes. Let's let's throw that out there. These are all for laughs, people. Yeah, this, none of this podcast proposed. is serious. This is for entertainment purposes only. That's um, fair. <laughs> with that being said, okay. With all that being said, we were in a group text and we we're talking about what we want to talk about for July Fourth. Obviously, with the July Fourth episode, you know, being very important, and the idea came out that we should talk about that America has a history of rebellion. America was built upon rebellion, right, against authority, and I think that's very important because. Over the last two to three years, what's going on now in this country? Um, it's important to talk about rebellion. It's important to talk about where we come from because now parents are being de- labeled domestic terrorists for going to their kids' school boards and saying how they how they want their children to be taught. Right? You're being told if you're any bit um, anti-government in any way, you're a domestic terrorist, or at least if you're libertarian, you're labeled as a domestic terrorist. Right? Like all of these things are starting to culminate where. It's either you're going to be a statist or you're going to be an outlaw. That's really what it's coming down to. And I'm just going to go out and say it. Outlaw gang, here we come, dude. You know what I'm saying? I'm good with that. Because when bad laws are passed, good men, good men and women become outlaws. And that's exactly – we've already been there, and it's exactly where we're heading in my opinion. So we want to talk about the actual history of American rebellion and where we come from. Yeah, man. I think it's steeped in who we are too as a culture. I mean just think about – uh, back to that correlative evidence that we were talking about earlier, uh, the times when this country was a powerhouse, when we were becoming what America was before we became a, a nightmare of a 
in uh, military empire at some point when we were growing as a nation and becoming something special was when we were this independent freedom area where people were allowed to experience the closest thing to a free market they really had experienced in most of human history. And I think you can see that around the world too, when you just see what is different about America. And part of that is probably what people find distasteful about Americans is that kind of arrogance, that uh, aversion to being told what to do, that in-your-face attitude. But I think that's kind of what makes us special too. So much of the history of mankind has been under the boot of government and state control and do what you're told. And we're one of the only bastions of true freedom in this world as Americans. And it's hard to even say that nowadays because we have seen this, like I said, that correlative evidence when we were on that upward trajectory. When did it start going bad for us? It's when we became this gigantic <clears throat> empire and everything became, became complacent. homogenized. And even, hey, if you want to talk about diversity, let's talk about diversity of cultures. You're homogenizing the entire nation and, and potentially the world at some point into all one global culture. Do you really and want to And it's not even good culture. It's just all chain restaurants in every American. You know, it's like it's not even good culture. Don't insult Logan like that. It's not. It's not even good culture. I mean, you can Logan's go like, to is my culture. You're telling me you don't have a preference between Applebee's and Chili's, uh, various oh, barbecue dipped both fried chicken strips. Both of those are such bad. <laughs> <guys>. We uh, <laughs> I used to always go off on people for Which having. You choose? When, when In and Out was coming into town. People would have this like, well, In-N-Out's better than Whataburger. Whataburger's better. And I'm like, they're all cheeseburgers we eat at 3 a.m. when we're drunk off our tits, guys. None of them. None of this is good food. The fact that you brought up Applebee's and Chili's is just so indicative of American society today. It's like, it's basically like the Democrats and Republicans. It's Applebee's and Chili's, dude. Neither uh, are yeah, good choices, but yet somehow they're all they're, somehow they're always in business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just, just having a we just came up with a great freaking analogy, dude. <laughs> no analogy or metaphor. Which one is that? That's more of a metaphor, isn't it? I said yes. analogy is more that's of a metaphor. A metaphor, yeah, analogy. I think I think metaphors are an analogy. I'm trying to be a stickler. I think they're, they're kind of the same thing, right? Yeah, well, not all metaphors are analogies, but all analogies are metaphors. No, 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 it's it's, it's vice versa. It's the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Not all analogies are metaphors, but all yeah. metaphors are analogies. I only went to school for two years, so <laughs> continue this. But what were you saying? We're just though? happy they taught you how to shave off all of that excess chimpanzee hair on your body so you look like a regular person. I ain't talking about excess, dude. This is all natural, bro. I don't, I don't <laughs> shave nothing. I'm talking about when you get up. I I assume this entire time that you trail to hell, baby. That's what that boy is. (laughs) I always just assumed that before we podcasted, you shaved all, shaved or waxed all of the hair off your knuckles. (laughs) No, I got pretty hairy knuckles, dude. (laughs) Go ahead, Matt. (laughs) I believe it. Oh, I was well, just to what Logan was talking about, or just to expand on that. It's like our one. It's that homogenized culture, but it's not even good culture. And I'm just trying to rack my brain around when you can really pinpoint America becoming the America that we know. And, and it really starts to, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a post-World War II phenomenon, right? Because prior to, you know, prior to World War II, sure, we were in the League of Nations and we were, we emerged as a powerhouse, but it was still, it was still a very European-centric globe in the 1920s and the 1930s. And it's not until after World War II that we emerge as like the big dick swinging motherfuckers on the block. And it's, I just don't know how you, how you undo 80 years of that, you know? And it's like, like when you start to think it's a, it's NSC, um, 
uh, was in SC 53, I want to say is the bill that because there was like this big, uh, big debate in uh, in the military minds about, okay, well, how do we do we pursue nuclear weapons or do we pursue conventional weapons? But we didn't have enough money for both until NSC 53 comes in. They're just like, actually, we're just going to spend a fuck ton of money on both. And that's when you really start to get the the security apparatus that we have today right that's where you get the cia really solidified that's where you start to have the dod become what it is that's when you start to have all of these alphabet boys that we despise and it's it's a it's almost like this problem of knowing right once you've dedicated yourself to knowing what's going on it's very catastrophic to not know and it's just been this big beast that's just fed itself and fed itself but back to what logan was talking about like we're we're steeped in rebellion it's who we are and i think that we as americans have just we've lost that so much um i know that i've read quotes from the declaration of independence time and time again and so i'll probably break one out later but i think if we're going to talk about rebellion i'd like to start uh i'd start to like i'd like to start with this quote from ulysses s grant and a lot of times it's chopped off they chop it in half because you know it says uh what what people want to say but i'll read the full thing it says the right to revolution is an inherent one when the people are oppressed by their government it is a natural right they enjoy to relieve themselves of the oppression if they are strong enough either by withdrawal from it or by overthrowing it and substituting a government more acceptable. That's usually where the quote stops, but here's the rest of it. But any people or a part of people who resort to this remedy stake their lives, their property, and every claim for protection given by citizenship on the issue, victory or the conditions imposed by the conquered must be the results. Mm. I love that, dude. Hey, historically speaking, he is not wrong either. I mean, those, no, uh, that's, those, that's that's the thing. Like, there's a reason the good guys always win in the history books. I, I know I've said this before on the podcast, but I, I think it's still pertinent that I, I hate the saying "land of the free, home of the brave" because that somehow gives us today the modern American Americans. Would you say because of the the use of that derogatory term towards Native Americans, the Braves? Yeah, that's Nobody's what yeah, on I was. Uh, yes, yeah. swing on this. Uh, good, you were good. really uh, reaching for that one. <laughs> that's okay, okay man. Well, you're, uh, you're still you're still funny, Logan. We still love Logan, you. Yeah. <laughs> Logan gets put <laughs> in the penalty box for five minutes. He gets muted. How do you get one, to talk? Had to try one baseball joke on the fourth. Yeah. You know? Well, you sucked. So, let's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I hate that saying. You land up free home of the Braves because I feel like as modern Americans, we stake our <laughs> Matt's no, Matt's I'm, Matt, I'm actually laughing about what Logan said. <laughs> Damn, uh, I'm so, I'm so sorry, to, Jamie. Not to look at you, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jamie. Go uh, ahead. I love you guys, man. I want you to know that. I do love y'all. Love you too, buddy. Uh, but I, um, with that being said, we stake like our claim on that. Like, we, it gives us permission today to not actually be, you know, the land of the free, the home of the brave, right? And what that requires of a free people. It's like, you know, Thomas Jefferson, we always talk about the tree of Liberty, right? The quote mm-hmm. is the tree of Liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of Patriots and tyrants. But Patriots don't want to hear that. Like, sure. They love that quote. And they use that quote all the time. Like the tree of Liberty is thirsty, but I mean, do they really mean it? Right? Like, because Liberty does come at a cost. Liberty is, you know, the whole saying of freedom isn't free is very true. Like Liberty does come at sometimes a very high cost. And we use that moniker of the land, of the free home of the brave as a crutch, to not actually be those things, right? We don't, we forgot about that sense of rebellion. We forgot about that sense of like revolt 
the history, the foundation that created this country of, you know, uh, of these United States of America. Right. And and what those before us gave and what they did and the absolute sacrifices that they made. And then we just get to stand on that. We just get to stay there and say, yep. I think it's that's, uh, that's who we are. That's who I am. I'm the, I'm the I am the brave. I'm the free. No, you're not, man, because you haven't done the things in your generation in your time that give you the right to say that. Well, it's back to that analogy of Chili's and Applebee's. I've I've had this thought Damn before. It. Like it's it's complacency <laughs> and convenience that is really much in this situation. Holy shit! It's, it's so the, true. The desire for an easier no, life, yeah. because to give it up to government and to let somebody else handle that is cool. We can all be man children our entire lives, and we can just have things appear for us and foods at the corner, no problem. I would like it's uh, the draconian nightmare of 1984 and like the the surveillance state they have, and, and to envision this dystopian future or well-imagined kind of world war three happening beforehand. But what it really was, was, you know, I thought who the fuck wants them to be able to identify you from your cell phone and be able to track you to know your facial recognition. And then one day I got tired of unlocking my phone and I went, ah, fuck it. And now I look at my phone and it unlocks it and they have all of my identification. (laughs) I swore that that I was never going to get a face ID iPhone, dude. And here we are, you know, it's no, it's true. It's, you know, but I will say, even with those, like, like I hate complacency. Like, that is one of my least favorite words and, and one of my least favorite human traits is complacency because that is when you see – that's not Jamie only when you see – three times. Now he has to go to the gym tonight. Yeah, right, yeah. Come on, bro. Don't be complacent. Um, but with that being said, like, that's when you see the downfall of – I don't want to say civilizations because I don't really care about that. But that's when you see, like, the downfall of good culture, right? Like, the downfall of good – um, ideas, or you know, is because times, people get really complacent and good actions. Economies, right? Yeah, or economies, yeah, right? Like economy. that's what you're seeing today because the pa- and I've and I've harped on this, dude. Because the past generations failed, they failed, dude. They got complacent. That's where we are today, and our generation is failing clearly, right? So when mm-hmm. are we going to pick up that mantle? Are we going to pick up the mantle that was passed to us? Because liberty, I don't know, maybe I can't remember who said this, but liberty is eternal vi- vigilance. Right. I, I think mm-hmm. that was Benjamin Franklin, but it is. That's not some cheap ploy. That's not some cute little saying like that is very true. Yeah. I mean, we're all we're always just one. We're always just one bad act away from sliding into some some heavy tyranny. And I mean, I think what's most interesting is we as as like the January 6th commission is going on, which I've listened to bits and pieces of. I'm not like super interested in it but i I chime in from time to time just hear what they're talking about hard to be interested in it they've they've taken out all the interesting parts of the investigation they're just investigating directly the people in it i mean you've seen where they're like were there any fbi or federal agents that were encouraging this and they're like we're not allowed to comment on a a active investigation right but the, the part they're leaving out is if they're not that you can say no there weren't any because that has nothing to do with the investigation. Yeah. <laughs> so it's clearly they're not going to explore those areas of it. That actually no. would be fascinating. Of course. Yeah, of course not. Cause that's, that's off limits, but what they're is just going to say which grandmas have to go to get Mo. Yeah. And it's, and now we're just looking at just like who the actors are in the Trump administration without actually looking at, okay. Any of you're right. The juicy material of, Oh, Oh, right. cool. I love the, uh, Trump lunch would this have happened if it wasn't for our 
yeah know. that's like it's like and, and you know it's like who knows right i've never heard of i've never heard of her before um and i can say that it probably takes a lot of it takes a lot of courage whether she's telling the truth or not to get up there and actually testify in front of congress i know that that's not a court of law um i'm not i, I have no idea i can't say what she's true or not i just think i think I it, made, it, it made it inter- it made at least interesting it made for an interesting <laughs> yesterday <laughs> I, I, saw that. Tweet that said, I saw a tweet that said Oh, Trump launched forward and grabbed the steering wheel and yelled, "This is MAGA country." Oh, that's so funny! <laughs> this is, this, yeah, that, that's really funny. Um, you know, but, uh, I think I think the most interesting thing that there's two there's two things that I kind of want to explore that I have buzzing in my mind is one the dichotomy that we're going or like this weird juxtaposition that we're going to experience on the fourth, where you have a bunch of people who are watching these January 6th commission religiously and talking about how terrible all of these people are and how they need to be thrown into jail and they need to pay for their crimes all while celebrating the very act of rebellion that the founding fathers took upon themselves to give them this federal holiday so that they can not go to work on a Monday. Mm. I think that is very interesting how those two things are are celebrating it though. Right, like well, they're 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 enjoying the holiday. Is they're, what they're doing. They're, they're, for they're sure enjoying, enjoying a federal holiday, the and they don't have to holiday. go to work. That's but what celebrating. It's a very different thing, right? You're they're, right. They're not, they're they're not okay. sitting there grateful. They're for having them. sarcastic Fourth of July's sarcastic feel, Fourth of July. Well, it's just like it's like any other like federal <laughs> holiday. It's like MLK Day, right? Like everyone's like, oh yeah, we we love MLK, but no, you don't. You just love the. You fact just like that the you day get, you get you get the day off of work, man. Like yeah. just be, you know, like just be honest right. about it, dude. No, you that's fair. You, you can even tell me what what I, what really bothers me, and, I, and I'll even say this about anarchists or volunteerists. And, and I went on another podcast the other day, and I said this as well is that even as an anarchist there's a lot of hatred towards like the founding fathers and stuff like that but i'm like at the same time man like they are exemplars in in fighting for liberty right like you can say you don't like the constitution or you know whatever you i don't know how you can say you don't like you don't love the declaration of independence or the bill of rights especially those two things because those are really rooted in anti-federalism but with that being said like they were like there were these farmers and colonialists and just like regular dudes or scholars or whatever that picked up arms and fought the greatest. And I'm talking about like everybody I'm talking, I'm talking about just like the founding fathers that we know, but the people behind them that fought the greatest empire the world had ever seen up to that point. And I, I'm sorry, man, like you can hate everything about them, but you at least got to respect the balls that it takes to lead that kind of revolt, to read that kind of revolution. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're perfect. I don't, a lot of pl- people place them as deities on a pedestal. I don't do that. Do I respect the hell out of Patrick Henry? 100%. Do I respect the hell out of Thomas Jefferson? 100%. Do I still respect George Washington? Yeah, I do. Uh, even though I think he was wrong on federalism, I still respect him for his, what's the word I'm looking for? I still respect him for his contributions to the American Revolution because, I, I mean, that the American Revolution is one of the greatest examples that we have in in world history of what it looks like when regular people are fed up with tyranny and what they did, you know, in defiance of that tyranny. Yeah, I think what's most interesting about the revolution is how it really starts to kick off a section of history that you can, I mean, you can take classes on the history of revolution. And they usually start, um, a lot of a lot of those classes will start maybe with the uh, 1615 uh, revolution in England, which produces the Magna Carta. But you know that, but that's a precursor. Without the Magna Carta, you'd never have the ideas of of individual liberties and this breakaway from government being the sovereign 
the, so you have to, you know, it's like, I, I can understand why you start the class there because you have to have that as a precursor. But the American Revolution really does kick off a a string of events that happen in a very short time frame. I mean, when does the when does the American Revolution end? Eight seventeen eighty three, um, something like that. But I mean, if if you look at the French Revolution, you're talking about it's less than ten years. The the French king is dead because of this, right? A bunch of normal people, the 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 Parisians, just rise up against their government and they topple the monarchy, this thing that has been enshrined in France for a thousand years. And and then you know, then then after that, you get the Napoleonic Wars, but you you still you still get all of these these amazing revolutions throughout um, the this next. 60 years after the American Revolution, you get the you get the Mexican Revolution from Spain. You get all of the all of the other South American revolutions from Spain in the same time. You get the Haiti Slave Rebellion in the same time. You get the uh, you get uh, the the revolutions of 1848, which really starts to solidify Europe into the playing in the chess pieces in the board that that really starts to shape modern history. And it, it's so fascinating though because we. It's just this long string of revolutions and people um, just really putting it all on the line. And I think the most interesting thing, the, the other side that I, I, I think about when we talk about January 6th and July 4th, just because it's in my mind, is sure there's going to be that weird juxtaposition of the, the people who say that. But it's also that there were people that actually went out and they staked their life, liberty, and property for something they believed in. Now, you and I don't have to sit here and agree with the cause, right? Because it's like I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's enough widespread uh, fraud to overturn election, um, and it seems pretty um, unreasonable to you know to walk into the the Capitol building with a MAGA flag. It just doesn't seem like a reason. I want to I want to say something though. And it's, the reward for it is what Donald Trump at best case scenario. Well but, <laughs> but I think it's not well, that it was even possible for say, what they say did right. I w- all I was gonna say is it doesn't it seem unreasonable for me for anyone to walk in that building and raise hell for for all that they do. My issue with January 6th is they did it for all the wrong reasons. Right? Okay, yeah. That's- we have plenty to insurrect about, if that's yes. a word. We, or we have plenty mm-hmm. to rebel against. We have plenty to use as revolt. At I insurrect you, sir. Yeah, I insurrect <laughs> you. What? That's, ugh. Well, really? No. <laughs> no, no, you know what I'm saying? But like, that's, but Trump wasn't it, man. And that's, yeah. the, that's the, that's the thing that bothers right. me out the most. It's like, Y'all really wasted that on Trump. That's that's really, what dude. that's what got the American. That's what got us there, right? It's not it's not the fact that they've stolen trillions of dollars from us and sent it overseas in the form of foreign aid and wars. It's not the fact that they've perpetrated the war on drugs, the war on poverty, i.e., the war on you over the last sixty years. It's not all of the reasons that you should be angry right. about your government. Or the fact they send your you, your brothers and your friends and your sons and your daughters off to proxy wars to yeah, die for to no die reason. for no reason or it's none of, that, it's none of those bed, things right? none yeah. of those things but it's trump it's, it's the, that's well, what it not, is not <laughs> no reason it's to protect the economy here because we based our entire uh monetary system on us dominating the middle east <laughs> well i mean yeah i i it's just it just strikes me though Your it's point. like that that blows my mind and that's the biggest issue that i have with january 6 i actually have no trouble with the philosophical principles of it right Zero. if you if you if you're that upset about it then by all means like stake stake life liberty and property and have your revolution now it makes me a little bit sick to keep the stomach. lights on dude 
Who pays to keep the lights on, bro? You do. Yeah, we do. And they lost, though. And that's the problem. And that, yeah, But that's right. the thing about revolutions and rebellions that nobody wants to talk about. Because as Americans, we have a nice... We have a nice coddled version of history with rebellions and revolutions, right? Sure, we beat the bloody British and yada, yada, and cool, we're now a country, and now we beat the Indians and their natives, and oh, can't say that, now now we're manifest destiny. You know, like, we have this very, like, benign, and even when you talk about the Civil War, right? Like, nobody talks about the horrors of Reconstruction, and I'm not saying that Reconstruction was a bad thing. Um, I just think, but it's like, but you have to look at the... I think that if when we talk about rebellions, we should also look at Reconstruction specifically as a good example of what happens when you stake life, liberty, and property for your revolution and you lose because it is not good. You know, and, and that's the flip side of this coin that as Americans, we don't really talk about. It's always hurrah, we win, but we don't really look at the hard realities of what those men took to actually accomplish those revolutions we don't look at what happens when americans decided to break away from america and they lost because reconstruction is an ugly period of american history it is not good and i mean you just start opening up some textbooks not textbooks but just like just find some books yeah, right there's don't a, open textbooks <laughs> there's a lot of i i say textbooks because it's like I, I i lump a lot of like my history like my like my my history classes the 17 books that we had to read that semester, I just call my textbooks. Um, but, but for like, but for lack of a better term, like open a book and read about it. It's ugly. But I think that we just have to familiarize ourselves with the nasty side of it because we've glorified it. We have this, this heroic idea of what it means. And I mean, you can even look at like, let me, let me go to Soviet Russia, right? When they talk about, Oh, the, the great patriotic war for the motherland and they celebrate beating the Nazis in world war two, what they're not talking about is 20 million Russians dying. They're not talking about, um, they're not talking about Russian tactics to ensure it's just like, well, how do you, there was this, this like this, I'll, I'll say this and then I'll shut up. There's this really interesting uh, conversation between Eisenhower and Marshall Zukov after the war. And Eisenhower was talking about, well, how did you, how, uh, as you started to get into Germany, how did you advance? Because Germany right there, they're depleted of troops and they're, they're having to pick and choose where they're actually manning positions and whatnot. So the Germans were using a bunch of mines right? As, as passive defense. And Marshall Zukov said, oh, I just sent the men forward. The amount of casualties, whether we were attacking a machine gun nest or they're walking across a minefield was the same. So we just marched <laughs> forward and it's just like, holy shit. But, but we don't, but, but nobody's guy's a mathematical genius. <laughs> you don't talk I about the too, It's shit. important to, to consider the aftermath too. I mean, even if you have a successful revolution, what comes next? If you hand it from, you know, in the, the case of France to take it out of the monarchy's hands, but then what did they, was it a, a less of a nightmare when Napoleon got his hands on it and just became the new, the new tyrant of the world? No, it sure uh, wasn't because the whole planet? that's where the coalition came from, right? It's like all of Europe looks at what happens in France and say, holy shit, we can't be having the peasants chopping heads off monarchy. We need to go right. strangle this in the cradle. So then you, that's, you know, it's, it's, yeah, the consequences of it. And those, and the thing mm-hmm. is, is like, we look at it as, as a beautiful thing, but no one talks about how hard it is to live in France. During this time, no one talks about how hard it is to live in Russia post-Soviet takeover, right? Like these things aren't nice and easy and the textbooks like to sanitize it. But nobody talks about how it's not easy to live in post-revolutionary America. 
it's hard living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. It goes back to that four hour argument we had uh, that we called the Liberty orgy last time. <laughs> like uh, it, it, that idea of divorce, it, it, it is great if it is done right, but we have to, <laughs> we have to know what we're doing or there are these externalities that we don't want to run across that can be very, very ugly. Yeah. I don't disagree with anything that you guys have said or are saying by any means. I think for me, when I look at that, cause you're right. Like they, we don't talk enough about the losers, right? We don't talk enough about what it looks like even after you win. Um, because that's, you know, winning comes at a cost too, man, especially for a cause as big as Liberty. But I think back to the, the you know, the revolutionaries, the colonialists that won the American revolutionary war and everything they had lost. And I mean, it was, you read some of their like firsthand accounts and, and the actual horror that occurred in those wars. I mean, uh, in the revolutionary war, what, what, you know, great Britain, that empire was willing to do to dissenters. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also think about, you know, I kind of like it. Speaking of Marvel, right? We talked about Marvel earlier. Like, I don't mean to liken uh, revolutionaries to Thanos, but I think about that part in in uh, was it uh, not Endgame? What was a what was Infinity War, right? Where Thanos like snaps his fingers and then he goes and sits down and he's like at peace, right? After everything he's lost, after after everything, but he believed in his cause. That's what made. Thanos is such a compelling villain, right? In in those movies. I'm a huge comic book nerd, by the way, but um, big fan of old, old Marvel, not this woke nonsense. But anyways, he felt so at peace, right? You didn't like the, uh, did you watch the newest Doctor Strange? How can you say you don't like Marvel? They finally had their first Latina superhero and her superpower was that she could cross any border at will. (laughs) I heard that before, dude. No, no, no. Is Is that, you're not joking. Is that for real? She like opens portals in the shape of a star and skips dimensions. Yeah, yeah she, uh, yeah, she goes in between. She goes in between uh, multiverses. Yeah, her name is America. No, her name is America. Her name is America, and she has two moms. That is terrible. She has two moms. Me madres, me madres. The whole thing was just like just in your face about it, you know, like. You're gonna have two moms, right? Like it's fine, you know, but it was just so like the it was Latina, a fact that it, no it was order just, can contain. Yeah. LG, LGBT ally, you know, like you know, it's just like that a whole like everything about it was just so like it was it's not the fact they had all those things in there, it was just so poorly written. They're just like, well, we know we gotta include the stuff, so we're just gonna throw it in your face. You know what I'm saying? You just got to deal with it. And like, yes, not, if it's written and, well, and it doesn't matter, it. but it is a little bit ham handed. Right. It wasn't, like, it wasn't oh, written well at all. You know? They had an agenda with this for sure. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Exactly. Sorry. You're, like, you're not even trying. You were talking about um, Thanos, Thanos being, uh, right? Yeah. So Thanos, he, and he sits down, he's finally at peace. Right. And so I think that's, I, I liken that to, you know, the revolutionaries. I liken that to all those farmers. I get like, did they sit down? And were they finally at peace knowing what they had won, right? And it's we can look at what's become today, and I don't want to talk about I'm talking about in that moment when they had won, when they finally declared victory, finally declared independence that they had written in 1776, right? Like when they had finally declared all of that and, and, and won, and they sat down on their farms as they returned back home, and after everything, they felt peace because of what they had accomplished, you know? And I wonder that. I think a lot of them probably did. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. That's, and that's, for me, it's, 
we have to talk about the bloody side. We have to talk about the unclean side. We have to talk about the hard side because, I don't, like you said, people romanticize it. And I think there's a lot of people, especially on the conservative side, they're like, lock and load, baby. I'm throwing my my Punisher logo on my on my hat. I'm ready to go, you know? like, yeah. And they don't yeah, think about tough. what that no, actually Gibson means. lost like two kids during that uh, revolution. <laughs> yeah, seriously, man. <laughs> but he's the reason I want to own a um, Tomahawk. But I, uh, I don't Ever actually own a Tomahawk. I need to get one. But with that, with that being said, you know, I, I look at that and think after all of that, they were at peace. And what's the price of peace? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, what is the price? Like, because we can talk about, you know, liberty and what the price of liberty is. And we, we talk about that a lot. But what true unmolested liberty brings is peace. That's what that is, peace is the aftermath extent. of liberty, right? And I'm I not saying peace is also very ambiguous because, I mean, I. Sure, they were at peace, but how much did they the cleanup after the war and the war? You're talking for sure. You're talking about internal and, peace. And right. I'm talking about internal right. peace. I'm not talking right, about external. Right, right. I'm talking about the peace that you feel knowing that you are free, right? You knowing know that what you would accomplish mm. is individual liberty. Something that let's be honest with with ourselves. Something that the majority of the world's population in that has ever existed has never felt that sort of peace being truly free. I almost think the peace, that internal peace, comes more for standing up for your principles. Like I think it's an opponent for sure. Absolutely. Goal. Right. Um, and they probably could have felt that peace even if they had lost, knowing that they did everything they could, knowing that, like, right. to your point, like, they felt internal peace because I think it's, but there's different types of internal peace, right? Like, there's internal peace yeah. knowing that you, you know what? You quit your job over the vaccine mandate. You stood on your principles. I feel at peace with that decision. I feel right. at peace knowing even though we lost, we gave like in sports, like when I played football, dude, losing sucks. I'm super competitive. But I mm-hmm. when, when I knew I gave everything I could on the football field, I felt peace about it, right? Because I'm like, there's right. nothing else I could have done. But then there's also the peace of winning and knowing all that effort came to a head and you accomplished something that most people could never accomplish. Yeah, that's fair. I, I definitely sympathize with that uh, that piece of laying it out on the field because I was the captain of a one and nine football team my senior year, uh, so I had I had a lot of personal victories along the way to keep piece. myself going. <laughs> <laughs> he shouldn't have. He got fired pretty soon after that season. <laughs> Your coach like walks in the locker room. He's like, you know, I really feel at peace about this season. <laughs> he didn't have financial peace at the end of that season. Athletic director walks in. Bob, we got to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm at peace. I'm at peace. You know, but if that you know, uh, if I feel that like coach, the character you know, of these young men are. <laughs> but you can feel you can feel also torn up. Speaking from personal experience, I don't know about y'all, and this is kind of getting more a little bit more philosophical, which I personally like. That's more of my forte. But I I have felt I have felt turmoil and peace at the same time, right? Because that's you can be in more like I felt turmoil on the outside but then peace on the inside, right? Because the world is a turmoil, t- tumultuous place, right? Like there's a lot of chaos in this world, um, but you can be at peace in a chaotic world too, you know? I guess I get where you're coming from. Eh? And it is that, I, I think the point I was trying to get at is just the, you know, how how at peace are you with the victory when the largest empire that ever existed is still does exist and might want those assets back if they get the opportunity to do so. Not to mention the French and the Spanish are still hovering around too. So I, I wonder how peaceful it really is when you get to that point. It, it feels great to accomplish that goal, but you're also still wait, wait. Like- I gotta say something real fast about this. I got called a nihilist at least eighteen times the other night. <laughs> 
that seems like a very nihilistic <laughs> approach to rebellion and revolt and, and the let cause me, of let liberty. Me pivot to, uh, I must pragmatic. say, I think pragmatic's a better word. Well, I think <laughs> no, I was uh, <laughs> it's only nihilistic. It's only nihilistic when I'm going in on you, Jay. If I just say, yeah, yeah. I look yeah. back at that episode I'm, and I'm like, I can call it a nihilist a lot. I called you. I, I yeah. don't think. I don't think was. I don't think that was a fair definition. But that's I, for a different. Yeah, I definitely. I, I came on strong that episode. <laughs> and I, I've listened. To, I haven't. We spent too long apart. We had a lot of tension. <laughs> Not, I thought not, our friendship not was even over. just sexual either. You know, it was, uh, that's um, all the time. There's what what I think though that I think both of you guys raised really good points. Um, I can we imagine know. that it is very liberating to have done that, and I think though that if we're gonna we if we're talking about um, if we're talking about what what revolution actually entails is that yes there is the actual work of of the war of the rebellion of freeing yourself but then comes the work of trying to establish that new 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 government or whatever right in our in our society it wouldn't be a new government it would just be our voluntary communities but in in the history of revolutions it is establishing the new state and right. and that comes with a lot of work um that that I think that we have to think about too. And one of the things that's one of the more interesting quotes about John or from John Adams, he talks about his uh, he talks about uh, Henry Clay or Patrick Henry. Um, he talks about Patrick Henry and Samuel Adams, and he's 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 bombasting them um, because he goes. Samuel and Patrick are are only interested in tearing down. They have no interest in rebuilding. And, and that's the more interesting, and that's the interesting thing that you have people that are absolutely dedicated to the fight. And that is where their mission stops. And that's fair, though, because you must have warriors, you must have people that will actually do the fighting, you must have people that their entire mission is the actual dirty work of it. And that has right. to be coupled and you need with FBI, FBI agents to encourage those people to go in and Yes. You, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. In, in, our, in our modern sense, right. yeah. And then you need the CIA to go in there and fund the weapons. You yeah. Because like, where would right. we be without all of those? We need to the create warriors. false information about both sides hating each other to fuel the, yeah. the outrage. Yes. Yeah. You need someone to take out the the duly elected leader and you know create a vacuum of power. Right? Like we know what this means. We know yeah. what we need, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um. And those things you can't. You can't. I mean. It's, that's, that's, it's ingrained into like the modern American story. It's just it's just what we do now. But once upon a time, you had to think about how you had to couple the actual work with then the people who are going to do the work after the work after the initial work is done. And that is creating I mean, in, in terms of just like um and well, the, everyone has their role. Yeah, and right? that's it. That's it. You have people that that that's that's where they can best serve the cause, and and that's the part of the declaration where it talks about throwing, overthrowing, um, your establishing safeguards for your the new future. Yeah. I think is the right to abolish too, right? So and yeah, and and it's just interesting that we often talk about, especially with just January, July Fourth. I mean, um, it's just very narrow conversation. It's just hey, hey, congratulations! They wrote a they wrote a they signed a piece of paper, right? The piece of paper isn't all of that glorious, especially if they lose. But the fact that they won, now it gets memorialized to this massive act. But I, I've said this time and time I, again, um, it just, it, it bugs me that the American history, this is a very passionate 
and dramatic moment in human history, right? 60 men conspire in the middle of summer in Philadelphia and they lock up the windows and they sign a treasonous document. And if they lose, they will be hung by their necks. It is a death sentence. They They signed their death death sentence. sentence. If they lose, they will be hung. Their family will be hung. And everybody even associated with them in any way, shape, or form that does not kowtow to the, the inquisition that comes after they lose will also be hung. The people that whispered yeah, support, right? The absolute worst crimes are crimes against your government. Ghislaine Maxwell just got 20 years, right? For trafficking God knows how many women to pedophilia, to to rape. I mean, horrible, horrible things. 20 years. Yeah. But you rebel against your country. <laughs> you tell them you don't like look the way at, they're running look your at, life. Look at Russ, You're going to get Russ a lot Ulbricht. worse in 20 years, man. Sorry, look at Russ Ulbricht, dude. That's a perfect example. Look at Russ Ulbricht. Right, he created an economy. You guys, are you guys familiar with Russ? Yeah, yeah. Is this the and, Silk okay. Road? Yeah, yeah, that's the Silk, Silk Road. Road. Yeah, okay. I just yeah. want to make sure because you guys were looking at me kind of like, but I, the I was I trying to up, recall the name, yeah. Yeah, it's Russ Ulbricht, he created the Silk Road, which was basically a counter economy. Got two life sentences at the age of 26, I believe. Yeah. Right? Two life sentences at the age of 26 for, for creating a counter economy where people could act voluntarily, right? Not I even was- like the most illegal thing that got sold there was. Drugs, from what I could tell. Yeah, from drugs, drugs and guns were sold. I think, though, that there's one caveat. I actually listened to a book. Um, it was called American Kingpin. And surprise, it talk, surprise. And it, but it talks about book. It, it talks about this guy. And one of the things I did not know, and I wonder if this had anything that played into the prosecution's case. And I'm not saying that he deserves two life sentences. Is that he put out the he paid for the murder of two people. Now, whether or not those mm-hmm. murders were actually committed, nobody knows, right? I think mm-hmm. I think the consensus is that, that these people took, they said, yeah, we'll commit your murders for you. They took his money and they didn't do shit about it, which is what I would do too. If some kid, some 24 year old kid's going to pay me X amount of dollars to kill someone. Yeah, I'll oh, do I'll it. You and then, and, yeah, and sure. so I think that, that that's Wired just over, the, buddy. Yeah, sure, kid. that's Been the only open. thing that I wonder you could demo me if that was if that was actually considered in the that he that he paid for the murder of two people. Okay, fair enough. I didn't know that either, so that's a very fair point. I wish you wouldn't have said that because we gotta push our own propaganda. But I no, but that's a very good point. I don't know. I guess you know. But the yeah, other well, part, the I have no, I have no trouble no with him. Yeah, no. Well, I have no trouble with him. Well, look at Julian Assange. Yeah, yeah, that that's. I think that's that's, a, that's a much better example. And I, and I'm, I personally, I'm a much bigger proponent of Assange. You know, personally, uh, I've just because I've followed him like almost since 2012, man. Like because you know Ron Paul talked about him, you know, and that was a big thing for me. But look at, I mean, Julian Assange literally exposed war crimes and war criminals and the crimes of the state, and he is treated as not only as a pariah, but the but I mean, and state enemy number one mm-hmm. for journalism, right? Second behind like, maybe yeah. Edward Snowden. Not, not all of those war criminals yeah. that he put out there. Maybe not even not I all mean, those horrible monsters and some of the worst yep. atrocities that can kind of happen in humans. But the man who pointed those out because that was hurting the state's position. You shall not follow your brother. It's the same thing as like these huge super church type religions. The reason you have the Catholic Church shoveling around bishops that are molesting kids. Or uh, uh, Jehovah's Witness has the largest case in American history for settlement for sexual abuse. Same thing. It's because they don't want to hurt the image of their institution. They end up yeah. allowing horrific things to happen. Because then you peek, you get a peek behind the curtain. What Julian Assange did was show you what the military-industrial complex right. is. And that is unacceptable. 
Mm-hmm. You don't you don't get to you don't get this isn't Wizard of Oz. You don't get to see the man behind the curtain, <laughs> right? You get to stand <laughs> the old brick road here and be fuckers. chased by midgets and, and flying monkeys. That's what you get to see. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get God, to see we're missing out on man. a lot of video remakes with Jamie as any Oompa Loompa type characters. <laughs> Oompa Loompa Doodly Doo. I love oh, it. No, that's 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 the that's that's chocolate. Yeah, that's Charlie and Chocolate that's, Factory. That's the wrong movie, bro. He said Oompa yeah, Loompa. I didn't, I didn't want to I do Munchkins to. again. Oh. Yeah, well, I would play an Oompa Loompa. I freaking love that. <laughs> the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with, uh, what's his name, Gene Wilder. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> you didn't like Johnny Depp? Big Show Man Coke. Johnny Depp Sunshine? No, I didn't. I, no, I wasn't about that at all. Um, but I'm anyways, more of the original, to be fair. Getting back to your point, Logan, of there's no crime like crimes against the state right um even when they are crimes even when they are um exposing the crime to the state and they are in, and they are actually protecting the natural rights of man doesn't matter right and so uh, i forget what kind of what we were talking about originally before logan brought that point like matt you had what were you talking about before then because i wanted to bring something up but I can't oh i was just talking uh, about fine. the work of the work of establishing <laughs> The new, the oh, new, your your new yeah, your I new government, it. your new society after the revolution. What I wanted to say was everybody has a role, which we kind of talked about, right? I think that's really important in discussing rebellion. Is that there in the American Revolution there were there there were roles, right? We look at like the people that fought, the grunts, like the soldiers, you know, the the sergeants or whatever, and then people that came after were, you know, like, we call them the founding fathers, right? That wrote these new documents and we can talk about whether you agree with that or not. Like I, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about just the roles that, that happened. Right. For us, I think you would need to be, you know, you do every, every movement needs its warriors and its activists. Right. And it's, and it's, um, I guess speech writers, if you will, right. Those who are vocal, you know, and then they need the people that come, the architects of the system that follows, right? And a lot of times that, that has to bleed into each other. Like you need the warriors that fought that battle in with those architects. And those architects hopefully fought the battle as well. But there needs to be some kind of understanding between those two groups and knowing that you're fighting for a common means and your roles are – and that's the thing that we – I don't think we talked about enough in, our, in the four-hour episode that we did that we still have yet to publish is that – with all these different roles, you have a common uh, goal. You have a common mm-hmm. destination. You have a common thing that you're working towards. For us, it's all a voluntary society. We just disagreed about how we get there. But I don't think we talked enough about it. We did at the end about that everyone has a role, right? I consider myself more in the activist camp, right? There are other people like Matt, like you're in your city council, right? Which I don't think is a bad thing by any means, right? Let us all do our roles. And let's work towards a voluntary society. Yeah, that's what I believe, and I think that's what gets missed a lot of times in rebellion. Is there are different roles, but what is the end goal? What is the common goal that we're working towards? So, what's most interesting is when you look at all of the let's call it like not even revolution or rebellion, um, but just like guerrilla war, insurrection type movements, because that's ultimately what we're talking about. Even though that. We're not General talking so about obedience. Yeah, you're not talking about because we're not at the point right now that you could just take up arms and and start the revolution. Why? Because your average person is not on board with the messaging, and it's not even that you need everybody to be on board with the messaging. Right? You only need a small percentage of people to actually engage with it. But it's but this idea of individual sovereignty, especially in America, and it's so ironic 
Because like what we talked about with earlier, Jamie says the land of the free, home of the brave. You're right. We're anything but because the the average person is so removed from the ideas that we are talking about, this idea of individual sovereignty and self-governance. And you have to have this message that goes out, that ties everybody together before any movement of arms is even effective, because you can just look at January 6th as a prime example. Okay, sure, they have every right to stake rebellion, have at it. But why is it completely unsuccessful? One is well, it's because it's poorly executed. We're not get, we're not getting into like the the true muddy waters of it. Um, but it, but they don't have, but they didn't have the backing of the population behind it, right? And you don't even, mm-hmm. and it's not even that. Sure, there are some people that are like, hell yeah, brother, go get go get them. But your average person is so appalled by that action. Your, your movement was doomed from the start because, okay, so what? Like, even if you accomplished your immediate goal, you have no support in society to ever make any meaningful changes of it. And so I think that that's probably like the most important thing that what I think that we do is that we sit here and we talk into a microphone and I'm thankful that people actually continue to listen for some reason. But it is actually trying to perpetrate and penetrate the culture with our ideas of liberty. Because before any sort of armed movement is going to be successful, we must have laid the groundwork. The, the seeds have to have been sown. And that, and we've had to have gotten that message in and out of society to enough people to have a meaningful change. Because you can't just like pick up arms and have it's, it's, it doesn't work if you don't have the momentum of the message behind you. I would even say it's probably it takes less numbers for an armed revolution to take place. You can probably get it done with a lot less people. But I think there's a better path. And what we should really try to strive for is not this bloody revolution, but Agreed. kind of that that just civil disobedience to the point that we render government completely handicapped, that it can no longer function because we just slowly stop paying our it's taxes. It's not participation. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And yeah. I, I think that definitely – it. Plays to your point. I mean, we have to convert a lot of people with our ideas. We have to inspire a lot of people with this messaging and and uh, win those debates along the way. And we have to do it to a much larger degree because we don't actually want to have this bloody revolution. In fact, those bloody revolutions, a lot of times at the end of it, you still have that Frodo standing in the middle of Mordor moment where you're like, God, I hope we're actually going to be more liberated. And we don't just have, uh, you know, the next draconian leader now takes over as the new monarch of this this territory and what did we really accomplish we killed all the old leaders and got a new tyrant ah, way to go guys really awesome i definitely agree man that's that is my goal as a mass um revolution of ideas that would lead to a a mass civil disobedience non-participation revolution right like that that is what i that has been, if you read the mission statement of Liberty Interrupted, if you go on the website and just read that, that has been my my aim from the beginning with my show and just kind of like, you know, what I'm trying to do, which, I mean, I don't think I'm going to do that, but I, but I want to be a part of it. Like, just like there you, you guys go, being do. a nihilist again. Yep. No, because none of this means not finding me. No, no, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> you need to learn the definition of that word. No, no, I'm, I'm just messing with you. There you go, being a nihilist again. <laughs> hey, so being in the spirit of civil disobedience, I think we do need to take at least a moment, and maybe we can go into what our favorite examples of civil disobedience are. But we have to recognize right now as we're recording this, not in July, but in June, this is 
the month of Killdozer. This is Killdozer Pride Month. This is when Marvin Haymayer took on his armor-plated Killdozer and fought back physically against against the nightmare that is bureaucracy that won't let you build a goddamn shed in your backyard. Mm-hmm. I uh, well, anyways, I uh, <laughs> I no, that's a good uh, that's, that's a good, good point. little piece of history that nobody likes to think about. I do want to finish this thought though that yeah. non-participation for me is the revolution we need because non-participation doesn't equal bloodshed. Non-participation is literally ignoring the state out of existence, right? Because that's, I've, I, I've tried to convey that idea and maybe I haven't done a good enough job on the show that you can, and I use the example of like cannabis or even gun laws in this country, right? Like the, the, you know how many laws, prostitution, right? Like, I mean, what else I, you look at, um, what's it called? Uh, the uh, prohibition, right? Like you look at any of the, the war on drugs. A lot of that has just been ignored by people. They just ignored it and they did it. There was more alcohol in the country during prohibition. Than there was outside of prohibition, right? Because of this idea of that we're not going to participate in your system. You can write, you can put whatever ink you want to put to paper. You can, you can pass whatever law. You can have whatever executive order that you want to give. But we're just not we're just walking away from you because you don't have any power. And that's when we talk about authority is an illusion. That's what we mean. Do they have an army? Sure. I don't think I think a lot of people in the military wouldn't side with them. I think a lot of people in the military wouldn't side with them. Right. Like, do they have physical power? Yeah, sure. But the but their authority that lords over you actually doesn't exist. It only exists in one place, which is your mind. And until you are until you you give it. Exactly. Until you embody that disobedience, it'll stay there and it'll be real. But the moment that disobedience takes hold of you, you you that's when you're truly free because nothing they do could ever take that away from you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you said that, it really spurred me on. And now I will read from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths (laughs) to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they're endowed by the creator with their certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, this is the important part, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And that's the part that that no longer exists to what you're talking about, that this, this, this mass noncompliance, the civil disobedience, is that it must from it must stem from a place that we no longer consent to what's happening. And I think that that my white pill and my silver lining in all of this is sure, I think things are gonna get hard. I think 2022 is gonna continue to be hard. I think 2023 is going to be harder. But the white pill that I get is that we are experiencing the waning reach of the federal government. And this this builds on to what we were talking about the other night with Flirt Cheap is that that we have these opportunities, right? I have never seen more people scream about the illegitimacy of the Supreme Court than after Roe v. Wade. And it just warms my heart that all of my statist friends are halfway there. Now, they're not completely there, right? Because they say, well, we just need to get some new judges in there and we need to pack the court so we can get our way. But I appreciate the start, them going and saying that the court is illegitimate. Thank you. Congratulations. You are right. Nine people in funny robes should not have any bearance on your life whatsoever. Cool. And that's and that's the that's the kind of the white pill that I see throughout all of this is that you're right. Like, yes, 
the, the federal government does have an army. Yes, it does have agents, but the amount of agents is so far and few between compared to just yep. your average population. They have no ability to enforce some of these things if they actually even wanted to. And that's, and that's kind of the white pill in all of this is that that's where your local community really does matter because the federal government won't be able to enforce all of these things, anything that they really want to do, it's up to it's up to your local, it's up to your local community, it's up to your your county. Well, we talked about that example before, like that that farmers market example, dude, mm-hmm. right? Like that that was just a perfect example. You see, we've seen that like there were restaurants here that didn't shut down where I'm at. You know what I'm saying? They're like, nah, it didn't happen, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, and people went and ate there. You know, like th- that is they don't have the bandwidth, and and we have an episode talking about localism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have the bandwidth at the local level, right? And I, I encourage anybody to go listen to that episode to do a more of a deeper dive into localism, what that means. But the point remains: the manpower doesn't exist, the bandwidth doesn't exist, right? Like everyone's, they, 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 you know, they talk about the fighter jets and the tanks and all these weapons and stuff they have, you know, but they don't talk about the fact that I that all people would walk away from that within the military. Right. Um, I'm not saying all of them, but I, I have friends that are still in the military that I believe would walk away from that. Right. A lot of them wouldn't because they have some misplaced sense of duty for whatever reason. The same with obviously with cops. I think a lot less cops would walk away. I think some would. And it takes a, it takes a certain amount of bravery too within yourself because you are in the same way you're risking a lot to revolt. 100%. 100%. When you're in the military yeah. and you decide not to do that terrible thing that your superior officer told you to do, you're you're facing a lot of deep shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me of that scene in A Band of Brothers in like the first episode when all the sergeants go to say that they have no um, no faith in their captain. And then it, then it's the, the general is like, I have you. I, ha- I ought to have you all shot. <laughs> you know, and, and that's but that's that is the reality of it. But I just want to I just want to say that. Go ahead, Jamie. No, all I was saying is that they just don't, with all that being said, I think their numbers would dwindle um, in an act of violence. And that's another thing about civil disobedience, that you can act in a peaceful, civil way. And something that the, that the state does most times, well, they'll, they'll act in violence, which you say, okay, well, if they act in violence, we need to retaliate. But what people don't understand is when you have individuals and, and people on the sidelines that haven't taken a side yet. And then they start seeing uh, one side aggressing and one side being peaceful. Most often than not, they take the side of those that are peaceful. Mm-hmm. It happened with the civil right. rights movement. Hey, it happened yeah, with Malcolm you know, X. Gandhi. Just about to say that Malcolm X you didn't know. catch a bullet until he started talking about peace. Right, hundred percent. They're right. happy to have him out there stirring the pot and talking about violence because then the government can point to him and say he's the problem. But yep. if you're talking about peace and they're bringing violence to the table, it's really hard to pretend you're the good guy. Hundred percent. And that's and that's my. That's a scary thought. Like, I doesn't mean I don't think you should be a pacifist by any means, but I'm saying act in peace because being peaceful is not being harmless, right? We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Like, being peaceful is being capable of harm and choosing peace. I think that's where our movement needs to be is that we mm-hmm. choose peace in the face of a violence and aggression and then let people pick a side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't, pacifist is, uh, I've almost come to think of pacifism as a negative term because I think you it need is. to be capable of some form of violence, you know, for the form of self-defense, for the, for self-preservation and for the preservation of others who are weaker than you that don't have the ability. I mean, that's something I think all of us as, as 
large men who uh, uh alphas matthew excluded of course uh we <laughs> course, feel yeah, course, a need to be protective and, go eat a chilies matthew <laughs> <laughs> go suck the breading off those chicken tenders like you like <laughs> <laughs> the, imagery, the imagery of Matt walking into a Chili's and sitting down, all, t- all dignified. I'll shake. I'll take your chicken wings, please, and I bring the chicken wings to the table. And Matt just goes, <laughs> not even wings, just taking the breading straight off the strips. Yeah, and like, he, just puts a, he puts a naked wing back on the plate. <laughs> Just a bald piece of white meat. <laughs> Dude, oh, suck the color right off them chicken wings, boy. I only eat damn, the good parts. Damn, myself. you thick boy. I'm a bit of a picky eater. <laughs> yeah. The guy comes, are you done with those? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was done 15 minutes ago. <laughs> you can give those to the peasants now. Yeah, seriously. You can you can, re, you can refry those and bring them back. Right? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That guy's back. Let's try a shoe this time and see if he notices. <laughs> yeah. You know, seriously. Yeah. They deep fry a sponge. Matt's just like. <laughs> oh, zesty great. today. Very zesty something in the breading. Yeah. You guys outdid yourselves. I like this breading. <laughs> He'll just suck anything oh. off anything, dude. Oh, you put anything, he's sucking on it. That's for sure. That's good old Matt. Uh, you ought to see Matt do ditches. Just takes those spoons and <laughs> them right clean. Yeah. The deep fried, yeah, I'll suck it off. Let's do it. I uh, that is funny, dude. That got me. That's quality comedy. That is quality comedy right there. Uh, uh, I had to make up for my my baseball miss earlier. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was you've, you've redeemed yourself. That was good. I uh, getting back on the straight and narrow here. I uh, I wanted to. Um, Logan brought up before the the incredible comment of <laughs> breading sucking. I see the guy. You did ask the question: What are some of our favorite examples of civil disobedience? Because that is civil disobedience is very much a form of rebellion, and I don't think enough people think about it that way, right? It is very much a form of rebellion. Um, uh, actually, no, you were going to talk about something about pacifism actually before you were you know you're you were talking I think about I like how right you need the ability to be violent when the time is right i mean there there for are sure. yeah, yeah. times that violence is called for and, and isn't in fact necessary in order to preserve your life or the life of people around you who don't deserve it. i mean i'm a big one but, uh it horrifies me how and i think it's almost like world star hip-hop has encouraged us in this because we love the big knockout blow and you see now like i feel like it's escalating and maybe it's just because we have more cameras now and I didn't see enough fights growing up, but I feel like so many times now you see the video where like a guy gets knocked out and some other guy runs up and just soccer kicks him in the head. And it's yeah. like, what? Are you? And it, it's so hard for me and, and being an older brother and, and feeling protective of people. Like I used to be a bouncer when I was like 18 in college and I would never let that happen. Like I was there to tackle a guy because I'm like, what yeah. do you, this guy is knocked out. That's it. What, what could this argument possibly be about that was so important that you're ready to cave this guy's head in? Maybe make him well, we've become lose twenty IQ points. Yeah, he's, he may never be the same human yeah. being again with, through brain trauma. And it's like, is it worth it? Because he drank your beer, because he was drunk, or he hit on your girl. Like, let's think about the consequences of, of said violence. But in that moment, 
I form tackle some frat boy and knock him to the ground to make sure he doesn't kick some other dude in the head. You know, that's a pretty violent act by me. And I probably throw an elbow in his face on the way up because I don't want him to throw anything at me. <laughs> Razor bows. You, you neutralize the threat too, you know? <laughs> no, I definitely, that is a, it is indicative of the fact that we have dehumanized each other. Right. I think that mm-hmm. got really, they got really bad. That's what politics does. They divide you and they dehumanize you because if you think this way, then you must not be human. If you think this way, you must not be a good person. You must not be coming from a place of genuine care and concern, right? right? Um, and then it only got worse during COVID, and especially during the, with the vaccines, right? Like if you didn't get vaccinated, you were just less than your second-class citizen, right? Um, and I think that's where we are today. I think you're seeing that now with – especially with Roe v. Wade, and, and that's a different conversation for a different day. But it's if you think a certain way, then you're just less of a human, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm that, very much that, on one side of that issue, where I've talked about that cultural you know? uh, so. homogenization thing again. Of like, if you really believe in diversity, that means there's going to be people in this world who have very different opinions than you, who have different viewpoints. Well, that's the only diversity that, that matters, dude. Is diverse, that's exactly it's true right. Yeah. diversity, mm-hmm. right? Like, not just right. like, oh, you. Uh, we all think the same, but we all look the same, right? Or like we all, right. you know, we all think the same, but we look different. That's what diversity is. No, yeah. hey, diversity I got one is no person of every you... color to be on board with my tyranny. Isn't that exactly. awesome? Yeah, dude, we're so diverse, bro. You know, it just doesn't <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sit well with me. But I do want to go back to the um, the historical question of examples of civil disobedience, uh, Matt. I'm, I'm not sure if you have any that you would like to point to. Yeah, my, I like I like giving examples. You know? Yeah, my favorite um, look at civil disobedience is Henry David Thoreau, and Ooh, specifically, <laughs> and, but specifically his book Walden. I know it's not like the easiest book to read, and I know that he talks about civil disobedience, but I, I read, I read Walden in college, and it really resonated with me about this man who just dropped what he was doing because you know he argues in 1849 or something that the world has been it's far removed from nature. And that we need to get back to our roots. And so he just goes and builds himself a cabin on this little pond. And I really appreciated that book because it talks about an intentional life. Like that's, that's what I drew from that book. And, and that's, I think that's the most, that's the most benign, but most powerful form of civil disobedience that we can have is an intentional life that everything that we do from our actions, from our thoughts, our words, our deeds, have a purpose. And then, and now this is just like spinning off of that. We've, we've talked about messaging, right? And, and it can be good or bad. And I, and I'm not opposed to calling what we are talking about a form of propaganda, right? Because we are trying to get our ideas out there and we're trying to persuade the masses with mass communication about liberty. And I'm okay with calling it propaganda um, because I believe our intent is good, but this this concept though of 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 language and the messaging matters. I mean, we ripped Joe Jorgensen apart from that. But also, when you look at the messaging of of revolutions, right? You have to have that. But when you look at the messaging of genocide, what is there? It's now this is like that dehumanization. Before the Rwandan genocide, you had the radio spewing that they're cockroaches, that they're lesser, that they don't deserve life, and and it's just it's though I I tie all of this together to say that. 
Walden is my favorite example of civil disobedience because it shows the power of your intention and everything matters. Everything that we do matters. And I, I forget this often is that I have 24 hours in every day. How am I spending it? Have I made my life better? Have I made the lives of those immediately around me better? Do people smile because I enter a room or do they smile because I leave? Right. There's two types of people. And and I think that it's really important that if we're going to if we're going to win the culture war and win the idea of individual liberties throughout society, we have to prove on our personal day to day life that it can work, that voluntary association can work. And so that, that, that's my favorite. That's my example. Walden from Henry David Thoreau. I love that example. I, I love his essay, uh, Civil Disobedience, right? Because he was such a he was such a like diehard like abolitionist and 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 I think I I I wish we would all stop paying our taxes in this country. I wish all of these businesses would stop with allowing this theft to continue. Because think about what that money goes towards, and that was his big gripe: was my money is going towards slavery. I'm just not okay with that. But Logan, what, what's your example? Well, I was thinking, I mean, hey, we got the classic one, Rosa Parks, all the other sit-ins when we had mm-hmm. these these grotesque uh, apartheid state type of rulings in this country, just the act of going in and again, back to that point of peaceful protesting. There were people out there that were doing the, the more militant thing, but what we remember and what was really effective were those people who kind of took it on the chin. And you go in there, you show that you are the one who's in the right here, because what am I doing wrong? I'm asking to be treated equally. I'm not bringing violence to the table. I'm not threatening you. And good people who, I mean, they, they, they walk the walk, kind of back to Matt's point of being that person in daily life. They walk the walk every day. They, they weren't uh, outrageous people that were, were a danger to society, and they prove it. And not only prove that, but in the process prove that your government's going to do these grotesque things through its uh, various arms of enforcement to bring down evil and violence on you simply because you're roughing up the boat a little bit. I, uh, I like that, man. I love the civil rights, um, examples. Those are power, like the, like the sit-ins and stuff like that. And like the imagery behind that stuff was, was powerful, man. My favorite example, I'm a huge sports fan. Everybody knows that listens to the show. Uh, my favorite athlete of all time is Muhammad Ali. Big fan of Muhammad Ali. I actually have a custom painting of Muhammad Ali hanging up in my home. He was my inspiration. I grew up boxing. My dad was a boxer. I grew up boxing. Um, and he was like always my inspiration, man, because he wasn't somebody that was natural. Did, you, people- did you stop because your weight class of 200 pounds combined with your five foot reach was a disadvantage? Yeah, in boxing? Screw me over. Well, I, st- <laughs> I stopped. Uh, I stopped boxing when I was in high school and I was a lot lighter then. So I, I uh, didn't have those problems then. But now I would very much have those problems. Uh, I think that a lot when I'm watching UFC and you're like, how much do I weigh? And then I look at Francis Ngannou and I'm like, ah, no <laughs> yeah, way, I man. <laughs> so when I look at what my weight class would be in boxing, I'm like, I'd be so after. I was pretty good <laughs> though, man. I will say that. Out there, I, I don't say I'm a natural. I wasn't a natural really any sport outside of boxing. But my dad was also a really good boxer. So I love I love boxing. Anyways, I looked at Muhammad Ali. He, he is and, and was and is my – like athletic um, hero and like idol, dude. Muhammad Ali was my guy. I I would watch ESPN Classics, black and white, watching Muhammad Ali when he was Cassius Clay boxing. You know, and my favorite example of civil disobedience is from Muhammad Ali. And here you take 
So he he registered for the draft when he was tw- when he was uh, 18 years old, right? And obviously, it came down to the you know the Vietnam War and the dra- He got called up for service, and here he was at the height of his career. Um, you know, heavyweight champion of the world. Like, I mean, everybody knew who, who Muhammad Ali was. He was the man, man. Like, there was just no doubt about that. He was the man. And he came out and he said, he basically, I'm paraphrasing, I got no quarrel with the Viet Cong, you know. Yeah. And Ain't no that, Viet Cong ever called me the N-word. Yeah, that's right. I actually have a quote. I put up a quote He didn't from say the fast. N-word, I don't believe it. No, he said, um, he, <laughs> I love this quote by him. He said, why should they ask me to put on a uniform and go tens and thousands of miles from home and drop bombs and bullets on brown people of Vietnam, while so-called Negro people in Louisville are treated like dogs and denied simple human rights. You know, and then I think he I did a mock ad on exactly that speech at one point during our podcast. It is a so, great speech, so good, dude. I great so statement. he he appeared in Houston when he was drafted, and they called his name three times, and he refused to step forward. Here he is at the height of his career once again. Court, this court goes all the way. This case goes all the way to the Supreme Court, and he says he's a conscious objector. He will not, um, you know, bend to that. Goes to jail. Took three years of his life out, out of his prime um, because he because he believed in what he believed in. Man, he didn't. He didn't. That's one man that could have hit somebody. That's one man that could have acted in violence, and yet he stood in the face of a, a nation of an empire and said, "I'm not bowing." And you can disagree with his religion or whatever it may be. But you can't disagree with his convictions. So that's my favorite. Um, and that was just one man. And I think that's what—that's another reason why that example is so powerful to me was that it wasn't a group, but it was one man that stood against the state. You know what I'm saying? And and went to jail for it. You know, and lost a lot of of his everything he had worked for. But I think he gained a lot more too. That's my favorite example for sure. Then he came back and whooped the shit out of Jerry Query. Yeah, he did. <laughs> that's my that's my boy, man. But um, with all that being said, I I think it's probably a good time to start wrapping up the episode. I do want to read off a list real fast. I sent this to you guys in the beginning before we started recording. This is a list of rebellions in the United States, right? So we have the Boston Rebellion in April on April eighteenth, sixteen eighty nine which was a popular uprising against the rule of Edmund Andros, the governor of the Dominion of New England. Dominion officials were arrested. Members of the Church of England were also taken into custody if they were believed to sympathize with the administration of that dominion. Uh, then you had uh, the War of Regulation, uh, which, from what I, I'm not really familiar with this one, but it says also known as the Regulator Insurrection. There you go, War Regulation in the war of the regulation which was an uprising in north carolina from 1766 to 1771 in which citizens took up arms against colonial office uh, officials um whom they re- whom they viewed as corrupt right that's another one then you have of course the american revolution we all know what that one is then you have shays rebellion right then you have the whiskey rebellion then you have the state of uh, muskegee then you have, uh, you know, obviously, and everything that comes after that. I mean, there's just so many examples. We could go on forever about this. But my point being is we come from a rich, uh, a rich history of meaningful uh, rebellion, right? You can, and then you can even look at the Civil War as a rebellion. You, the abolitionist movement is a great example of rebellion, right? We come from a rich history of rebellion. No matter what color your skin is, no matter what you believe, I think we'd be wise to take that to heart, remember where we come from, and where we can really take this thing, you know, which is a voluntary society that respects the individual, no matter who you are, what you do, who you love, what you stand for, right? Like, as long as you're not hurting other people and taking their stuff, um, we have examples that we can pull from. 
Absolutely. It's a little bit of that. Uh, don't let uh, a woman who is, didn't have a father in her life tell you what a strong man's supposed to be. It's like, don't mm. let all the statist societies around the world and all these bootlickers tell you that your rebellious nature is a bad thing. Take pride in what we are. We're the first ones who really shuckle, took off the shackles of oppression. And we can be that person again. We're the only kind of last bastion of that in this world. And it's sad to see that dwindle away. We want to, we should recapture that. We should rekindle that flame within ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's just a couple of closing thoughts that I have. One is that the best way to spread the ideas of liberty and freedom is to live them. I mean, that's the only, that's the only way that we're actually going to be able to do this because if you're going through your world, just being a piece of shit, and then you talk about freedom, you are not doing the, you're not doing the movement, any sort of message. The only way that we can actually start to gain traction on this is that we must walk our walk. We must talk our talk. And that starts with the intentional life. And Walden is very hard to read. And so I don't recommend that everybody just goes and picks it up. It's like an older pro style and it took, it, it's not an easy book to read, but go read the cliff notes of it. It's, it's, it, that, that'll do you just fine, but it starts there. Um, and then, I think that we have to start um, really embracing this idea that liberty, especially kind of the liberty that we talk about, is a new phenomenon. This isn't, I mean, 20 years ago, these movements didn't exist. 20 years ago, this was not a widespread message of American society. And I think that we have to take heart in the fact that this is something new and that we are at the genesis of what could be something incredible and that we have to work to leave this world a little freer than we found it. I'm, this is me taking the black pill. I don't think that we were ever going to get there in my lifetime. I don't think that, you know, unless something just radically, um, radically just out of the blue happens and we have the opportunity then maybe, but if we just progress along the normal course of how ideas permeate society and how things change, I don't think that we're going to quite get there to what we want today, but our mission is not to just abolish the state right now and leave chaos in its wake. What we are here to do is leave the world a little bit freer than we found it. And so we must we must take heart in the fact that we are in the long run, that this is a long campaign, that we are at the beginning of a very long campaign. And I always think of that, uh, that proverb that society flourishes when old men plant trees under which shade they will never sit. The tree of liberty, that is our shade. But we are but we are here at the forefront actually planting that tree and we must water it and then we must tend to it and we must protect it because there are people that would love to chop that tree down. Like Logan said, there is a bunch of statists out there that would love to see this idea extinguished. There's a lot of authoritarians out there that would love to see us underground. However, that is our biggest act of civil disobedience and defiance is to continue to wake up, to spread love, to be good human beings, and to pursue this idea of liberty. That's yeah. right. No matter how beautiful your tree is, somewhere out there, there is a nightmare HOA that wants to tear it down. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Ain't that the truth? I, I got I to gotta agree with Matt for sure, man. I uh, I loved everything you said there. I think that's we, – we mentioned earlier in the episode that generations before us have failed. Let's not be another failed generation. Let's not allow – let's not allow our bodies to rot in the dirt while tyrants continue to live as – as they continue to live freely. That, like that's the biggest problem I think for me is that the tyrants live free. The people 
that that run this world. The people on Giseline and and Epstein's client list are living free, but you can't live free if you decide to own a certain type of firearm. Or if you decide to live suicide, Ghislaine Maxwell, they don't even have to worry about that list anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly, dude. Like as soon as she finally commits suicide, if there's any motivation that you should have, it's knowing that the tyrants that tell you you can't be free because you're too dangerous, you're too irresponsible, you're too stupid. You shouldn't be allowed to have their same rights um, as they should. Well, they're living free as can be and you're not. That's the motivation. Yeah, go to hell. That's right. Um, But once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. This is. Um, a collection of podcasts that was a No Kings Network. Um, and it's always a pleasure to jump on with you guys from Against the Mob. It's always a pleasure oh, to have these conversations. Be. It's important. Guys, go ahead and drop your plugs, and then we'll get out of here. Matt, yeah, you can find us at um, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Against the Mob. Go check us out. Engage with us there. We're always happy to um, talk to all of you people. Um, that's just pretty much about it. And I mean, that's that's just it, though. I mean, I, I've said it, and I'll just say this as, as our final plug. Go do the damn thing. I mean, that, that's all there is to do. That's all there is to say about it. Get outside, drink water, lift heavy things, be a dope human being, embrace yourself, embrace the things that make your spirit um, you know, that, that, that just overflows it. That's that. And that's where we're at our best because I think oftentimes we get so sucked into this idea of, of, per, of just like winning the war that we forget to take our, that we forget to take care of ourselves. And at the end of the day, the best thing that we can do in the form of civil disobedience, the best thing that you can do for your family and yourself and your community is to be the best version of yourself. So stay hydrated, do dope shit. And, uh, that's all we got. <clears throat> I like that, dude. Win the war with yourself before you start seeking other wars, right? Um, guys, my name is Jamie Kane, the OSTAN founder of Liberty Uninterrupted. As always, it's a pleasure to be with you. I just remind you that uh, we the people run this. Don't forget that shit. Let's get out of here.